Good morning. Thank you for being here. It's encouraging to us, and we hope that this will be encouraging to you. Let's begin with a prayer. Almighty Father in heaven, we are so very thankful for the opportunity we have to worship you. And we thank you, Father, for what it cost you to make this possible, that you sent your Son to die for us, that we might have life and life everlasting. And as we study, Father, we pray that you'd imbue us with your wisdom, the wisdom that you've promised us, that we might see your word as you intended us to, Father. Help us to recommit our lives to your service, to leave this place stronger, more committed, more loving, more reflective of your great love, your grace, and your mercy. Bless us in this, Father, for we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, this morning's lesson comes in two parts. Since I'm an engineer and have spent a lot of time thinking about this, I've decided to start with part one first. We'll see how that works out. Uh, part one. Well, George was a good fellow. I've talked about George before. You all know George. George is a good guy. But he fell into a pit, and he couldn't get himself out. Most people, of course, really weren't concerned about George. They had other things to do. They were busy grocery shopping. They had company coming. They had their work to deal with. They were watching TV. They were just doing lots of very important things. They didn't have time for George. Some folks, however, were very empathetic about George's situation, and they came by to check on him. A number of people came by and said, poor George. Some other people, however, weren't quite so empathetic. A self-righteous individual came by and said, George, only bad people fall into pits. An optimist came by and said, well, George, things could be worse. A pessimist came by and said, George, things will get worse. A self-absorbed person came by and said, George, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. An existentialist came by and said, George, don't worry and don't listen to anybody else. There really are no pits. Five Supreme Court justices came by and said, George, according to our interpretation of the Constitution, you have every right to be in that pit. A couple of Hollywood producers came by and said, what a great pit. Let's get a few more people down there and we'll have a hit reality TV show. <laughs> a couple of liberals came by and they had a solution. They said, we will raise taxes and we will create a new government agency to deal with people like George who are in pits. A couple of conservatives came by and said, we've got a better idea. Let's lower taxes. And George, if you work really, really, really hard, you'll be able to pull yourself out of that pit. <laughs> Several religious people came by. After all, it was their duty to look after people like George. A Calvinist came by and said, George, you were apparently just predestined to fall into that pit. So there's really nothing anybody can do. A regular churchgoer came by and said, don't worry, George, I'll put you on our prayer list. A televangelist came by and said, take heart, George, you are a victor, not a victim. Finally, Jesus came by, reached down, took him by the hand, and pulled George out of the pit. 
What would you have done? A better question, however, is what do you do when you see somebody in a pit? Or maybe even a better question, what are you going to do the next time you see someone in a pit? It's unfortunate, but I strongly suspect that there are people sitting here with us this morning who find themselves in a pit. There's a lot of old sayings that have a common but very important theme. Talk is cheap. Put your money where your mouth is. Put up or shut up. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. All of these sayings point out the fact that our actions are what count. And our words don't really matter all that much, do they? James 2, verses 15 through 17 says, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Faith is much more than just thinking good thoughts or praying for others to be blessed. Faith is all about doing what needs to be done, taking the necessary action. In Matthew 7, 21, 23, hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In this passage, Jesus tells us that it's more than just being busy in the name of the Lord. We have to be doing the right things. We have to be doing the will of the Father. In Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 34, Jesus speaks to us again. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the eternal extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, 
you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I don't think the scriptures could be more clear. When my granddaughter was just three or so, I remember my daughter-in-law, Sutna, telling her, Anais, you are responsible for cleaning your room. I remember Anais's response. It was classic. She said, I don't want no responsibles. <laughs> I think a lot of us feel that way. If we have a choice, we don't want no responsibles. <laughs> However, we've got responsibilities, whether we like it or not. They are all around us. God expects us to shoulder these responsibilities. He promises us the resources we need to carry through and to do what he asks us to do. But let me be clear about one thing. The last thing I want to do this morning is to lay a guilt trip on anyone. The last thing most of us needs is for somebody in this pulpit to tell them, you're not doing enough. you got to do more. You're not good enough. That's not my, my point at all. I see so many who are working so very, very hard. I see the young parents. And believe me, I remember the challenges that you face. The fact that you brought your little ones here this morning speaks volumes of what you think is important. And it's a good testimony to your, uh, your faith. I appreciate that. There always seems to be so much to do. We're pulled in so many different directions. Life these days has indeed gotten to be very, very complicated. But what I am saying is that with all of the stress that we face, from personal experience, I know that we add to that stress when our actions do not align with the faith that we profess. Every day presents choices to us. Hundreds of choices, and with those choices, opportunities. As we are faced with these choices, it's important that we take a moment and pray, that we ask God for his wisdom, that we might make good decisions, that we might make the right choices, that we might make those choices which will most glorify God and bring honor to him. And what's so very, very, very important about that is if we do that, our life will get better. Because we don't serve God for his benefit, we serve God for our benefit. Because he tells us to do things that are in our best interest. We need to ask God for his guidance every minute of every day. And especially when we are confronted with choices, with decisions that need to be made, we need to involve our Father. As we do that, as we ensure that what we do is fully consistent with the principles of our faith, our faith will grow. Christ will be seen in our lives and the joy of Christ living in us will be real. As God intends it to be real. Today is a day of recommitment to examine what we're doing and to make sure that what we do is indeed aligned with our faith and that we are doing what Jesus so clearly told us to do. Jesus told one group of people, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? He told Peter, 
feed my sheep if you love me. Another passage says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We need to confirm our faith, commit our lives to doing what Jesus tells us to do. And once we do that, I am reminded by the immortal words of Larry the Cable Guy, who said, let's get her done. Let's not talk about it. Let's get her done. Well, that's the first part of this lesson, and I know it's hard. But I think we need to be reminded about what our job is, what we're all about as Christians and followers of Christ. However, there's another part to this lesson that I hope will make the first part a little easier. Part two. Back in the early 60s, westerns were some of the most popular TV shows. You probably remember, if you're a little older like me, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, Have Gun, Will Travel, Big Valley, and one of my favorites, The Rifleman. The Rifleman was a story of a widower, Lucas McCain, who was extraordinarily good using his special rifle. The story is about Lucas and his young son, Mark, who is about 10 years old. Lucas could be counted on to take out two or three bad guys, sometimes more, every week. I saw the first episode the other day, and I brought back good memories. In this opening exercise, uh, episode, Lucas and Mark are on their way to their new life. They're looking for their new home. They don't know exactly where that will be, but they're on the road. This is before they established their home in North Fork, if you remember. While on the road, they stop, and Mark looks back and comments with some longing on all that they have left behind. Just like many of us, Mark has a hard time leaving the past behind. But Lucas says that their focus needs to be on what lies ahead of them, the opportunities, the promise, and the adventure that lies for them and their new life together. Then Lucas says four very important words, very wise words to Mark as they start again. He turns to Mark and says, and as he points down the road and he said, let's start from here. The more I thought about those four words, the better I like them. What a wonderful promise comes from those words, let's start from here. In Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14, Mark did an excellent job of reading that, but I'm going to read it again. It says, not that I have already obtained it, and Paul's talking, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us, let's start from here. Actually, when you think about it, every minute we're starting afresh. We've all heard the old adage that today is the first day of your life. Well, that's true. We can go anywhere we want. We can go anywhere we need to if we but start from here. That's a wonderful 
promise filled with hope and encouragement. And when you think about it, here and now is the only place we can start from. Lots of times we think, we fool ourselves, that we'll make a new start from somewhere else. We might say, well, when I get that promotion, then I'll get to this or that. Or maybe, well, when the kids get just a little older, then I'll have time to do what needs to be done. Or when I get finished with this project at work that's taking so much of my time, well, then I'll have time to do that. It's an illusion. We cannot start from someplace else. We have to start from where we are. If we're going to start, we need to do it from here and now. Let's start from here also carries another tremendous promise. And it's the promise that Lucas was trying to convey to Mark. It reflects the fact that no matter what has happened in the past, that's the past. We started out talking about George in the pit. Remember part one? One of the biggest pits that people can fall into is the pit of the past. So many people are burdened by guilt, regrets, and sorrow. How many of us have gone down the, if I'd only done this, coulda, shoulda, woulda syndrome? We've all been there, haven't we? Where we relive the past over and over and over again, and we are chained to it. Some people are paralyzed by their guilt because they can't get over the past. Some can't forgive themselves, so accepting forgiveness is something that's incredibly hard for them to do. But Psalm 103 talks about this and the blessings that we have through God's grace. It reads, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If you don't read that psalm very often, do that. You should read that psalm that we might forget none of his benefits and that we might remember that our transgressions are removed. They're gone. They're not there anymore for those of us who are in Christ. One of the greatest blessings we have in that is that God forgives us. He takes away our guilt and breaks the chains that bind us to the past. And we ought to hang on to that promise every day. Like Paul says, we need to forget about the past and press on, knowing that God is with us every step of the way. If we have regrets, forget them. And if you can't forget them, use them only as lessons that might help us not make the same mistakes again that might make us open or more open to God's wisdom and guidance, the guidance and wisdom that we need to direct our footsteps. And our Father will do that. 
But don't use your regrets. Don't use your guilt for anything other than that if you have to hang on to anything. Only that your heart might be more open to God and his wisdom. Today is a new day. The promise is great and there right now for all of us. God's grace is embodied in the gift of his son Jesus Christ. And that gift has no bounds. We can't imagine the bounds, the fact that there is no bounds in that promise. In Ephesians chapter 3, 20, one of my favorite scriptures, Paul is praying for the Ephesians and he's praying for us today as we should be praying for one another. And reminding us, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. For all of us, as we walk out that door this morning, I hope that we can further commit our lives to God's service, that we will look to him for his wisdom and his guidance, that he, we will look to him to help us with the choices that we make, that our faith might be fully aligned with our actions and vice versa. And as Lucas said, it all begins with, let's start from here. Galatians 3 tells us that we put on Christ when we are baptized. If we can do that for you this morning, or if there's anything else that you might need from the congregation, any prayer requests or anything that we might help you with, please make your need known as together we stand and sing.